Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. We got a bunch of information for you. Not always the case in the offseason. Happy when it is. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. After speaking with 10 Ohio State assistant coaches on Tuesday, you should expect this Wednesday pod, the Thursday pod, maybe even beyond that, to be a lot about what we talked to these Ohio State assistant coaches about. Did not get Ryan Day, did get all 10 assistants. Mickey Marotti, strength coach, stopped by. And we are starting in this pod on the defensive side of the ball. Interesting conversation with Jim Knowles, linebackers coach, defensive coordinator. We'll also get into some of what was said by Tim Walton, the cornerbacks coach, Perry Leon on the safeties coach, Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach. I feel like we did learn some things. And it, again, tip of the cap to the Ohio State Sports Information Department led by Jerry Emig that made this happen. It does not happen at every major program. But the idea, it's it's symbiotic. And listen, we're not on the same side. We're journalists. They're Ohio State. But if you can work together, then we can bring you guys information about the team you care about so much. So they get, hey, there's some Ohio State chatter and stories into the summer, and we have a fresh batch of info. So we're not just, you know, ranking um, Nathan compares uh, his three favorite brands of hot dogs to Ohio State offensive linemen, which is that's right where we were, Nathan. That was going to be the Thursday pod this week. And then all of a sudden we got actual information. So lucky for our listeners, right? Yeah. uh, Although now it gives me a head start to really, when we have to do that episode in June while you're on vacation or something, I can really nail that. I think I can really, I can land that one deep. Yeah. And maybe we could even get, we could get like a former lineman to come on and talk about that. So we're going to start with Jim Knowles. And as I am want to do, especially with Jim Knowles, there's just certain coaches when I hear things and I think, oh, clarifying, now I understand some things. There was one thing that happened on Tuesday that helped me understand something better. But there was another thing that happened that was actual information. And I know you guys were there for kind of the back half of Knowles. Again, just to give you guys a little inside view of this, we're up in the food room where the Ohio State football players eat. We are scattered at the tables there. And there are three, four coaches out at the same time. And so we're all different places. We, The three of us did not hear everything that all 10 guys said, but we tried to cover the bases as much as possible. It just so happened as it worked out that I wound up at Jim Knowles for the whole time. You guys wound up at Jim Knowles for part of the time. But for instance, I didn't hear a word that Larry Johnson, Perry Aliano, or Tim Walton said, and you guys were all parts of those conversations. Let's talk about the thing where uh, Jim Knowles, Stephen, changed his mind. And I know you were part, I know you and Nathan were both here at this point, but you asked a follow-up question along these lines, Stephen. And there was a, there were two separate C.J. Hicks conversations where Jim Knowles started us down this path. And the final conclusion was I said to Jim Knowles, when you got here, you said you would prefer to basically kind of play In the back seven, your linebackers, your corners, your safeties, you liked playing the same guys. You thought they learned and got a feel for the game over the course of four quarters. You did not want to rotate there. It made you made it sound, I think, and when he got here, that like it's almost disadvantageous because if if a guy's really getting a feel for the game, you want that. So then when we have conversations about, well, how does Sonny Styles fit in? How does CJ Hicks fit in? Oh, he said Cody Simon might play. What does that really mean? They have six safeties they might trust. We were always saying that, 
knowing the defensive coordinator kind of said he doesn't want to do that. And Steven, I said, you said that last year. And he said he's changed his mind on that, Steven. What do we make yeah. of it? I think it's a guy who finally understands the riches that are at his disposal in a way that maybe it's never, no, not maybe it's never really been at his disposal, but also it's just the comfort of year two, because I, you followed up with some more things about that. But I, did, I followed up with, when did you realize that? When did you realize you didn't have to be so stuck in the, you know, I'm going to play these guys. And he said about, about, about spring winter time is when he figured that out. And some of that is a combination. He said, and I, so I followed up again and I said, how much of that is, the talent that you're realizing you have here, you have more guys than you've maybe had when you were at maybe Duke or Oklahoma State where it's like that guy's got to play versus you've just been here for a year. And so you know guys. And he said it's a little bit of both of those things at work. And I, I think I believe him because at all his other stops, his second option wasn't a former five-star top ten player in the country. That's just true. But also when you're in year one of things, you probably just want to go with the guys who get it right away, especially when you're talking the way he was talking last year. Uh, he was saying, I understand I don't have four years to figure this out. I've got like nine months because this is a place where we win. You have to win, compete for a national championship every single year. So if it felt like Tommy Eichenberg was getting it from day one, so you have to play him. And then Steel Chambers and Cody Simon were getting a little bit, so you split time until Steel shows you that he's getting a little bit more than Cody Simon, so you only play those two guys at linebacker. But now in year two, you feel a little bit more comfortable, but also no more about CJ Hicks, no more about Cody Simon, no more about Gabe Powers. You're maybe a little bit more open to a rotation than you were a year ago. So this could potentially manifest itself in three very different ways. But we'll start with the most exciting, Nathan. And that is the idea that CJ Hicks might play. <laughs> he might play. CJ Hicks might play. And that's what spurred the conversation, Nathan. And to me, Jim Knowles being open to a rotation, to whatever. Because the thing that Jim Knowles said is, he said, C.J. Hicks might be unleashed this year. That was the word he used. And I said, well, how's that going to work? Like, how's he going to get unleashed? Because you ha don't you have to play him to unleash him? I said, are you going to rotate him? Or are you going to play him in blowouts? Like, how? what would be the process of unleashing him? Because someone can't be unleashed if you keep them on the leash the whole time. And that's what helped lead this... Nathan, how that he's open to this, how much does it maybe change what you think about C.J. Hicks and what he might be able to do as part of this defense this year? Well, the more I think about this, a, a, a lot of this comes back to me, to things he was saying about Cody Simon. And it, it, it speaks more to, to what, don't worry, I'm going to get I'm going to get the Hicks. But just let me take this thought when to, to what Stephen oh, was saying. Wait. Eileen, Eileen, I'm just looking something up, and Nate, Nathan is so conditioned. I leaned, and Nathan was like, "No, he's about to interrupt me." I, I, I swear I wasn't. Not this time. Most times, not this that time. Was, that was ultimate PTSD right there. Post traumatic stress. Post traumatic stress. Doug. Doug leaned 18 percent of an angle toward the microphone. Nathan's like, "Dear God, I've only been talking for three seconds." Let's not pretend it hasn't happened before. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, because this spring when we talked to him and he brought up that he wanted Cody Simon to play more, 
he said that uh, he it, it, that came to him as he kind of reviewed the season. When he looked back on the way that the season had gone, he realized Cody Simon had played maybe better than he realized in a moment, I guess, and that he probably deserved to be on the field more than he was. There was a time early last year where Simon was splitting with Steel Chambers, but then it kind of became Chambers and Eichenberg really dominating the snaps at linebacker. And there's part of me that wonders if that is where the change didn't happen in his head to where that opened his eyes a little bit this spring to not be sitting there a year from then next spring having the same conversation about somebody else I, I think as a coach that is something you you don't want to do you don't want to be in a situation where you look back and say I had a really good player who needed to be on the field and I kind of missed it and he should have been out there more and probably could have helped us play better especially on a defense that, that wasn't playing as well as it should have been and especially late in the season. I know they played their, their two toughest opponents late in the season, but there were there were definitely lapses there. So as it gets to what do I think this means for Hicks? I came out of the spring wondering about this, and I think we've talked about this before on the pod, that if the way he was talking about Simon and Eichenberg, and I guess he's talking about Simon maybe helping at both those spots, but that to me had already opened the door for what we're talking about today, which is maybe Hicks shares time with, Chambers and Simon shares time with Eichenberg like that seemed if CJ Hicks proved himself and if he showed himself to be ready in the coach's eyes I thought this was sort of already on the table so I think it's 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 maybe a more intriguing conversation um, with the abundance of safeties they have but I think the most important thing here is a recognition in, in from from Jim Knowles that CJ Hicks is ready and that he is someone who can be unleashed. That's not a word that they use with everybody. They don't say everybody is ready to be unleashed. To me, when you say a word like, use a term like unleashed, that is um, that there's, this guy is a, 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 the reason you put a dog on a leash is because they're going to get out and wreck havoc if you don't. So that, that, that word to me, I thought was important. So let's look at the Michigan game last year. And this is a little bit of the context of what we're talking about. Michigan game last year, Tommy Eichenberg, every snap, played every snap. Steel Chambers, every snap, played every snap. Lathan Ransom, played every snap. Ronnie Hickman, played every snap. So that's your two starting linebackers and your two starting deep safeties did not come off the field in the Michigan game. There were 62 snaps. Tanner McAllister as the nickel safety played 44. Cody Simon as the third linebacker played 17. So that was, they shared that spot. If it was more of a run situation, they put a third linebacker in, took that nickel safety off the field. Denzel Burke at corner played 59 snaps, basically the whole game. And then the other corner spot, Cam Brown and J.K. Johnson kind of shared it. So that's what we're talking about here. What does that look like? Basically, five of the back seven played the whole game against Michigan. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying depending how you're doing it, how does C.J. Hicks get on the field for the Michigan game then? How does Sonny Styles get on the field for the Michigan game? How Like that's in the execution with the players they have this year. That's the thing that holds me back. And I do think it is a little bit of a different conversation. Cody Simon is sort of like earning time, Maybe you want to rest Eichenberg so he's fresh at the end of the year. But 
Hicks is, are you going to play a younger guy? And we'll get to the safety thing where you have like different types of safeties there. But the conversation continued with Jim Knowles. And he said something like, I know people always want to play the five-star. And I was like, you know that? (laughs) Because that is true. Us here standing around this table, fans, that is true. And you know that. He's like, well, yeah, you know, I don't listen to anything. I don't read anything. But every now and then people tell me stuff. And so I think that's been – or he just understands the psyche of people who aren't coaches who want to play the young, talented guy, Nathan. Yeah, and I just want to interject. If C.J. Hicks didn't exist, we'd be having, I think, almost the exact conversation right now about Gabe Powers, especially as well as he played sometimes in the spring because he's the – very highly rated other linebacker that they have who we they have such an abundance that we're not talking about him but if there was no cj hicks i think this would be a gay powers conversation because that next guy up people are always really intrigued by not as strong not as strong but i know what you're saying not, I, maybe I, not to I, the I same extent because you're top 10 versus top uh, no. 50 whatever gay powers was but uh, yeah. Yeah. i i think nathan the point he said it brings up another thing because you asked doug Basically, what does it mean when you say he's going to play more? Does that mean like he's going to play more in garbage time when the game's already decided? Does that mean there's going to be a, like there's differences, right? Between, yeah. Especially with this linebacker group right now, because nobody played linebacker snaps other than Cody Simon, Still Chambers, and Tommy Eichenberg. So I think with Gabe Powers, it would be more of like when the score is sixty-two to seven, Gabe Powers is going to be on the field with six minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. I think in this situation, and, and like, and again, like, I don't care. No, nobody cares right. about yeah. that, and that's the right. Thing. Right, 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 right. That stuff. That's not what anybody is talking about. Right. right. That's what I'm saying. With code, with I think this, but I'm saying that's the difference between the Gabe Powers and the CJ Hicks conversation. I think with the CJ Hicks conversation, this is a situation where it's the second quarter. It's 21 to 14. The game is still on the line, and CJ Hicks is on the field. So this is what Noel said. It's it's me saying. Hey, I'm going to get him in every so often because to move along guys in their progression, he's got to get placed. So it's either me defining a role for him within the game plan, creating a substitution where I know I'm going to put him in no matter what or what the score is, or like you said in the blowouts, right? So, like, but he's saying, like, he's not only talking blowouts, he's talking about defining a role for him. And then I will say, Lovely conversation with Jim Knowles. The example that we have talked about here that's been cited many times. 2014, Curtis Grant is the senior middle linebacker. Five-star Raquel McMillan is the freshman middle linebacker. They basically split that job. And as Jim Knowles was standing up, I said, I want to show you this. I said, this is the reference point I always use. And I pulled up PFF on my phone, and Jim Knowles pulled out his reading glasses and put them on. And I scrolled and I pointed and I said, Curtis Grant, Raekwon McMillan on the PFF thing. They're right on top of each other because their snaps were so similar in 2014. One was a senior, one was a five-star freshman. They basically shared a linebacker job for a national championship team. And he said, Doug, this is the greatest thing a journalist has ever shown me. It's shaken me to my core. You think like a coach. It's going to, no, I didn't say that. He was like, I put on my glasses for this. Who are you again? It was somewhere in between those two things. So we were having that conversation. And again, as we continued to have the conversation a little bit, Nathan, he's admitting 
the continued thing of, I know everybody always wants to play, but as a coach, it's like you've got to trust the guy. But to, to the point we're making here, it does feel like C.J. Hicks made enough progress to earn some trust. And now Jim Knowles has expanded his mind enough and realizes the depth of talent at Ohio State is different than the depth of talent at any other place he's ever been. And those two things converging gives me significantly more confidence that C.J. Hicks will play real snaps for this defense in 2023 when, regardless of how he looked good in the spring, Nathan, there was a time where I thought, well, I don't know. I'd do it, but I don't know how it's going to happen. But I think what Jim Knowles expressed on Tuesday, A, saying this guy is who's ready to unleash, and B, hey, I'm more willing to rotate, find spots, whatever, in concert. I just feel significantly better about this guy getting on the field. And I think a lot of our listeners, Nathan, a lot of Ohio State fans, it's something they're interested in, not just for because they're curious, but because there's a belief of we're not throwing steel chambers to the curb, but some combination of steel chambers and CJ Hicks at weak side linebacker is better than just steel chambers and probably is just be- is better than just CJ Hicks. And we saw it work with Curtis Grant and Raquan McMillan. And now maybe it feels like Jim Knowles is there as well. Hallelujah. Again, that's where I think that the difference between unleashed and between the usual coach speak, well, everybody's going to play, which means fourth quarter, which means special teams, which means uh, a bunch of like backhanded things that aren't actually truthfully answering that question. Um, I, I think it, it was a useful perspective to hear. I think, though, it it it, it has to then exist, though, in tandem with the thing we're going to talk about maybe immediately but soon about the other linebacker he was talking about today and how crucial uh, how, how that uh, from a conversation the three of us were having after um, helped explain what happened with the 2022 defense and why certain things were working and why certain things didn't work yet. Like it, it's all about familiarity and about a deep knowledge of the defense and about uh, being so facile in the um, understanding of the, the, of the essence of the defense that it becomes second nature to be doing things out there. And that's where I I don't think the trust thing is just, I can't trust you because you're young. I think it's something that until you start to see it, and maybe that just takes some time. So because he was also asked again, somebody else asked, do you look back and think you should have played CJ Hicks more? He said, no. Correct. Right. But sophomore CJ Hicks is a different situation now. Than, than freshman C.J. Hicks. And I just think in the end, Stephen, to hear Jim Knowles sort of acknowledge that, that the depth of talent thing, which I think, again, we're sort of saying, we could have told him that. There's more good players here than there were at Duke at Oklahoma State. But he had to realize that for himself. And it is a trust issue from him and knowing guys. But part, it's fundamental at Ohio State. I was like saying this to Jim Knowles. I said, this is the conversation. This is like the number one conversation at Ohio State play more young guys because the young guys are five-star recruits because the young guys are super talented, skilled guys. And when we're having a dude conversation, Steven, the idea, the thing that may be the most nervous is that I don't care how talented you are. I have to trust you a thousand percent before I play you because we have veterans here who I do trust and we aren't going to play that many guys. And that makes me nervous because if you're waiting to trust a skilled young player a thousand percent, you might lose a year. And that depth of talent, I just thought that was a big acknowledgement 
Stephen. And I, d- I did find it interesting that he said this spring, not during the course of last year as the season mm-hmm. developed, because as we just said, they basically played five of the seven guys in the back seven the whole game against Michigan. It was this year. And what what happened this spring? Well, CJ Hicks happened this spring. Davison Igbenosin happened this spring. Sonny Styles happened this spring. There's multiple guys, Stephen, that would open your eyes to that and make you realize there's not seven guys in the back seven who deserve to play. There might be 12, and that can make us better. CJ Hicks did some stuff when he started getting all those extended snaps, especially when Steel Chambers went down for the spring. Uh, we saw a lot of practice, but we didn't get to see everything. I think CJ did some stuff that made him think a little differently because that, for context with the five, star, like CJ Hicks is everything you think he is as a five star, but he also didn't know what he was doing because he's from Dayton, Ohio. So there was just a developmental curve from between the years that was always going to have to happen. And um, I went back and listened to CJ Hicks, what he talked in the spring, just for preparation for this. And he said there was a lot of times he was just overthinking it. And he was just in his head a lot of times when things are maybe a little bit more simple. And I think it's clicked between the ears. And I think he might have been flashing a little bit more than they let on at times. And it's helped Knowles come to this decision as well. Seeing that transformation, but also just, you know, old habits die hard sometimes. Because if we were covering the Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State, or at any of these other stops along the way, we wouldn't be going, why aren't you playing the young guys? Why aren't you playing the, uh, the young guys? We'd be going, where's the veterans? Where's the experience? Because that's, that's been his experiences. If you've got a guy who's been here four, five, six years, that's a blessing because you really don't want to have to play the freshman at all. While here, sometimes freshmen can overcorrect mistakes. That's not the case where he's been at. And so I think it's a good thing that it only took him a year to figure that out. Because there's very much a scenario where this takes him two or three years to work that out of his system. And to your point, Doug, you do lose a year with C.J. Hicks. And then maybe he gets to his junior year, he's awesome. And then we're looking back and going like we did with Paris Johnson. I can't believe we only got one year of Paris Johnson at left tackle. I think also, as much as we want to give him credit for this change in philosophy, as Stephen points out, it's it's a good thing to remember that how did he come to this realization that he could maybe play C.J. Hicks over Steel Chambers, make the choice of playing C.J. Hicks over Steel Chambers, sometimes when he didn't have the choice, when Steel Chambers couldn't mm-hmm. play for the last few weeks of the spring, that opened the door for this. And, and maybe if Chambers doesn't get hurt, it doesn't open quite as quickly. So there were two big things from Jim Knowles that were sort of philosophical things that I, that I think helped us learn about this defense. We'll get to the second one in a moment, but I want to continue to have the conversation of, in a world where they're more willing to play more guys in the back end of the defense. What does that mean? And we'll get to that next on Buckeye Talk. So this was something that both Jim Knowles and Perry Eliano talked about. And Stephen, you were at Perry, right? The idea mm-hmm. of these safeties with different body types. And the things that we're talking about, it's Cam Martinez and Jihad Carter at nickel safety, and then four deep safeties, Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, Kai Stokes and Sonny Styles, and the idea of maybe there are different types of players who could play in different types of situations. Both Perry Aliano and Jim Knowles seemed open to this idea, right, Stephen? Yeah, it's it's we saw Sonny Styles in that big nickel role sometimes this spring. We've seen Cameron Martinez out there, obviously Jair Brown getting some reps at nickel as a cornerback queen in that position. 
Perry Eliano was talking, but even though Jihad Carter in that mix is a guy who's kind of working at all three spots right now when he's healthy, they've got options to where they could be, they could stay in their base defense and just throw a different third safety out there depending on who the opponent is. Like if it's Wisconsin, you put Sonny Styles out there as your big nickel. If you're playing, I don't know, a Big 12 school where all they do is throw it around there. Maybe you put Jair Brown in there. And then obviously we see like guys like Cameron Martinez maybe in the more normal situation similar to what we saw with Tanner Martinez. But it seems like they have more diff- they have more body types, and so they can try some different stuff and have different packages where there's going to be weeks where you see a guy play 60 snaps because you're playing an opponent where that guy needs to play 60 snaps. But there's going to be other weeks where you might not play as much because they don't need it as much, which – that's a conversation in itself is should they go down that route, but it does just feel like the depth that they've built gives them options for how they want to attack teams. I, I have a confession to make because I realize I'm being somewhat disingenuous with how I'm expressing this because I want people to have a clear understanding of what I'm actually ha- hoping happens here, or I want Ohio state to be open to doing. But before I get to that, this to me, Nathan, again, this, yes, we saw it against Georgia with Sonny styles playing a role. But just hearing it again, like, okay, they'll play. It might not be, here's the three starters, here's the three backups. If Sonny Styles isn't one of the three starters at the beginning of the year, what's his role going to look like? Again, it's clarifying. We said they're six deep at, deep, deep at safety, and I think everybody believes that. And so now if it just means, okay, well, one way or another, we're going to see Sonny Styles. Even if we kind of fought that, I just feel better about it. After hearing it on Tuesday, Nathan, because again, it's about everybody. But if you're telling me lots of body types, different guys in different positions play multiple safeties, the main thing I'm doing is, okay, that means we're at least going to see Sonny Styles in some kind of substantive role. It's not, well, you better beat out Josh Proctor to start or you're not going to play that much. And and I guess I wasn't there, but I I wasn't completely divorced from that possibility just based on how they did things last year. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And I, and, and also he said the thing in the spring about, well, you got to dominate the twos and it's like, well, that's obviously something we don't necessarily get to see. So you're always in that sort of purgatory of, well, how, what is a guy actually accomplishing behind the scenes and how much should we read into the fact that he isn't playing? Um, Sonny Styles is still though, the one that I'm, I, I didn't come out of today with necessarily a more concrete, concept of whether he's going to get on the field or not we do have that i think with hicks with styles it's still well is it going to be more of what we're talking about now a niche or a a a move bounce around kind of thing or could he legitimately go back there and claim a starting spot and i i think all of that is probably still on the table and as much as i think the mix and match and playing to matchups sounds good on paper or I guess it can't sound good on paper, looks good on paper, <laughs> sounds good in these discussions. Um, I think there's also, though, uh, we could be just – because as soon as they do that, then jerks like us do a pod that's like, well, but like if they're the ult- if the, there's three ultimately talented guys in that secondary, shouldn't they just be playing all the time? You know, shouldn't you be finding – if Sonny Styles really is that good and could really be like next level – Shouldn't you just go all in on him and find out how much you can get from that? And I think that's a that's a valid conversation, too. I'm still very fascinated by what safety looks like in preseason camp. I don't know if, you know, what the snapshot we got coming out of the spring, will it line up 
essentially like that and play out more or less like that. And we're going to go into the season thinking this could be a big mix or will three guys start to really separate and impose themselves and become the unit. Because I think as much as Knowles is open to the mix and match, if you have, if you have like three, all big 10 guys back there, no matter what he says, that's what he wants. Is it fair to say that regardless of what it looked like when we got done with spring football a month ago, if somebody would have asked us three who we think plays more, regardless of how it ends up happening, who has more snaps between CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles that we would have said Sonny Styles. Is that a fair? Yes. Does it yep. feel like just based on how we're talking right now, a month later, that the answer to that question has flipped? Not for me, no. But it's, well, let me it, add, let it, me but ask. it has, it has, I'm trying to get it into the window here of my, it's, yeah. it's shrunk. It's getting closer. So if you were like 80, 20, see Sunny Styles, maybe you're more like 60, 40. Hmm. Well, well, let me Getting ask there. this. What did Perry Eliano say about Sunny Styles? Because one of the things we were talking about too is in spring, there was a discussion of they want to streamline Sunny Styles. Yeah. And now I'm trying to think of the word. I think perhaps they're ocean lining him. What is the thing? Instead of a stream, a stream is nice and skinny. An ocean is vast. And are we back to the point where, well, Sonny could play anywhere. He could do anything. Steven, what's the handle? And I will talk. I, I told our texters this. I do just, I, I, I talk to Phil Steele every year for his guide, just about like sort of making sure his depth chart for Ohio State makes sense. He gets to talk to a lot of head coaches. He doesn't talk to the head coach at Ohio State. And that was the most, I was like trying to explain. It's like, well, Here's what it kind of looked like in the spring, but I don't know what it's going to look like in August. And by December or November, I don't know what it's going to look like. Trying to explain what the Ohio State safety depth chart should look like in a preseason magazine for what it might be later in the year was was not an easy task, Stephen. Did you get clarification from the safeties coach on what Sonny Styles is and will be, or could he still be anything? He's learning here. Like that's what it's, it's no clarification yet. And it's because it's, they're still in the, everybody's kind of working everywhere. It's like the only person where it feels like we've got a concrete answer on what they're doing is Lathan Ransom. And that's them using him as a bandit because they're using him as a weapon. And they're going to ask some questions along that line of like, what is he's doing that one, you already trust him, but now you're trying to use him as a weapon within your defense, kind of similar to the way that they did with Tommy Eichenberg last year. So we, we talk about this a lot. The, when the coaches downplay a player, that's when you should get it perk, perk your ears up. And when they talk about him too much, it's like because they're trying to motivate them. There's almost like this limbo space that I think we need to create. And I think that's where Sonny is living right now. Because last year when I was asking Brian Hartline all these Brian, all these Marvin Harrison questions, and he was just downplaying them, I mean, and I'm running around the woody like, yes, he's going to be awesome this year. With Sonny, it's like they're not – trying to give him confidence to the media because they don't think he needs that. But they're also not, like, downplaying it. They're just kind of talking about him like a normal player. And it's like he'll have – he had moments where he brought up the fact that, remember, he's only 18, he reclassified. But then he'll have moments where it's like, man, for a guy so young, he's so advanced and all that. So it's like it's hard to get a read on what Sonny Styles – where he is. And his progression, even if we think he's going to be great, like, is this a dude? Like, I don't know. I, I'm very much open to the idea that, like, we get out there for fall camp and he's with the ones, but also I wouldn't be shocked if he's still with the twos. 
So here's what I really want. I want them to play the young guys enough to be able to decide if the young guys should play more. And that's when I get nervous mm-hmm. that like they're, they don't trust them enough in August. And then they get into the season and they're trying to beat Notre Dame and they're trying to beat Wisconsin. They're trying to beat Penn state. And they're trying to beat Michigan. And the year has gone by and we get to the Michigan game and they're playing the starters every snap and neither CJ Hicks nor Sonny Styles are starters. So when I say, oh, great, they're playing a bunch of guys. What I actually mean is, oh, great, they're going to give the young guys a shot. And maybe what will happen is that the super talented five-star young guys will be like, you can't take me off the field. So if we get to the end of the year and CJ Hicks is playing every snap in the Michigan game, I'm not going to be complaining about that. If Sonny Styles is playing every snap in the Michigan game, I'm not going to be complaining about that. If they never got the chance to show that they had that ability, that's where I get worried, Nathan. So I'm not necess- no. I'm not pro rotation. I'm pro keep your mind open to the young guys and like Jim Knowles said, find a way to play them because you're not steadfastly dedicated to I want my back seven guys to play the whole game and then see what happens. And then if the old guy is absolutely the best answer the young guy snaps go down fine if it's a split if it's Raekwon and Curtis fine if the young guy takes over fine but at least that's what I feel better about and so I don't know I know what Stephen White when you ask that question I know what you mean because all of a sudden Jim Knowles said unleash and CJ Hicks and nobody said unleash and Sonny Styles. Yes. But I think we still sort of believe, well, I don't know. Like, I don't think they're just going to say, well, 70 snaps to Josh Proctor. That's it. Sorry. Well, so that's, I just want them to have a chance to show it, a chance to show it, Nathan. And that's what I feel better about for the young guys in the back seven. And, and some of that timing of the, the terminology is that we were farther along on the way we were asking about CJ Styles in this. Sunny Styles in the spring than we were about CJ Hicks because CJ Styles played more last year, et cetera, et cetera. So that that could be part of that. But no, I I, I get what you're saying, and um and I also think we should remind people that because there were some times last year where they experimented and put in the number two guy and it it didn't go well. Um, but for lack of a better term, those those aren't the guys that Jim Knowles was talking about when he said, "I know everybody wants to see the highly ranked guys." the highly recruited guys I think is the way he actually termed it. And that's guys like CJ Hicks. That's guys like Sonny styles guys who were like, if they had been making their, I can't remember if either one of them did, if they were making their announcement on ESPN where they're going to college, that makes sense. Whereas a guy who might've been ranked still a four star, but farther down, people know the kind of player I'm talking about um, like that. The expectations aren't the same and the ceiling isn't the same. And the, the potential for the greatness to hit early typically isn't the same. So I, I think you're right that it it's a it's a situation like what's your plan for CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles to get on the field against Indiana and give you an idea of what they could maybe then do against Notre Dame and beyond. Like I think I think how much some of these guys play on September second could be indicative of of where this team is at by midseason because those are the games where you can get this kind of read. Like get them in early. And, and, you know, Youngstown State's not going to really count. But Western Kentucky even. Like, get them in early in that level of game. Actually, you could argue Western Kentucky's better than Indiana in some years. Like, get them in early in those games and see and, and get that on film. Um, 
and let that show you what 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 can become next. Well, one guy who actually hasn't been like behind on CJ Hicks is um is Steel Chambers. I was just thinking about this that that's to kind of to, not to jump around too much, but to get to your point, Stephen, like that's one guy who was already sort of telling us what was happening behind the scenes with him. He's always been really mm-hmm. impressed by him. Um, and we didn't talk to any players today, but those are also the guys that can give you an indication of what's real and what's not usually by how candid they are about what guys are actually doing. So the safeties, they can play multiple guys, right? I mean, when you talk about different body types, Sonny Styles is a bigger guy. He can play a big nickel. He can be that kind of guy against a, a team with two tight ends, that kind of thing. You have some faster guys. Jihad Carter was a guy that Jim Knowles had very good things to say about. He said Jihad Carter is the kind of guy where if there's a play in practice and something goes wrong and Jihad Carter comes to the sideline and Jim Knowles says, okay, well, in that situation, if this happens, then you have to do this. And then when Jihad Carter goes back on the field and they run that play, Jihad Carter does the right thing. He learns it and he executes it right away. Coaches love to tell stories like that. So like Jihad Carter, my number one, if you want to tell me, right, if we want to say, what's uh, what's nickel going to look like? That's like Jihad Carter and Cam Martinez split mm-hmm. until somebody seizes it. I'm okay with that, Steven. If you want to tell me that they're going to give Kai Stokes a look to see what happens, I'm great with that. And if you're telling me Sonny Styles gets a real chance, again, the six guys that we think, Cam Martinez, Jihad Carter, Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor, Kai Stokes, Sonny Styles. Work it out. Work it out. And I just think we feel like that will, will happen. That it will happen a little bit. And that's the thing. You just don't. Sonny Styles might help you beat Notre Dame. He might. Jihad Carter might help you beat Notre Dame. So you have to find it out, Stephen. I don't know. I'm excited. How is Perry, by the way? Perry good? Is he all good with Perry Eliano? Yeah, Safety's I love man? Perry. Yeah, he, he's good. Um, it, yeah, I, I like Perry a lot. It's best, he's one of the better personalities on the team. I think the first three games are going to be very interesting um, because they're not playing games where, I mean, unless Indiana somehow, you know, strums up 2020 all over again. They're not playing teams where you're necessarily worried about whether you're going to win or lose. So it's it's it, they have a little bit of wiggle room. To, it, it, I I almost in 2021 when they were like rolling guys out there and like drums and we we're like, why are you rotating so much? I almost wouldn't have a problem with that because that means they're giving guys opportunity this year because that means you're giving guys opportunity who are clearly good enough and you spend those first three games trying to figure out who your best players are and then you go into that Notre Dame and that's maybe where you start to see it dwindle down a little bit because that is a game that might be competitive but out the gate it just looked weird in 2021 because you were playing two good teams this time around I won't have a problem with it if they're rotating six guys in the back end and they're rotating four guys at the linebacker spot, just because you got to think you got a lot of guys who you think can play for you, but who is your best, what's your best combination? By the way, also just would like to state for the record, we complain when they don't rotate and we complain when they do rotate just to make it clear. This is why Jim Knowles says he doesn't read things, but if you're Jim Knowles' friend and you want to tell him that you can also tell him that we acknowledge it. That's 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 partially true, but I mean, go back to go back to twenty nineteen. Um, did we did we complain that they rotated Baron Browning in with Tough Borland, mm. or did we say that makes sense? Like, I think it depends on who is being rotated in. There's other times where we think, oh, are they rotating for the sake of rotating? No, right. Rotate from strength, rotate from weakness. It felt like in yeah. 21, maybe they were rotating from confusion and like, we don't know what we yes. have. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Versus yes. like, 
hey, we're rotating because Steel Chambers has proven he's a very good Big Ten linebacker, but also we have a second-year five-star who needs to play. We're going to rotate from strength. So we like that. And no, nobody. we wanted more Baron Browning. That's all. Nobody was like, just give it to Tough. All tough. All the time. That's not where we were. So anyway, I think there's good things here. That's the rotation discussion and how it might be applied. A couple new guys, Nathan, as you noted, like, hey, we're having this day. It's like, hey, there's like four or five guys in the transfer portal that are new to Ohio State since we last talked to people. One of them, Lorenzo Styles, the older brother of Sonny Styles, who came from Notre Dame, where he was a receiver. He was transitioning to cornerback at Notre Dame. He's going to be a corner. At Ohio State, what did Tim Walton, the corners coach, have to say about Lorenzo Styles, Nathan? So obviously, uh, like a lot of guys that they go after in the portal, you can go in and pull up on Huddle or whatever and watch a bunch of their, or whatever system they use, um, watch a bunch of their film. And you can do that with Lorenzo Styles, but you're watching him play receiver. So what did they learn from that? I was asking Tim Walton, because Tim Walton also wasn't here when Ohio State was recruiting Lorenzo Styles Jr. out of um as as out of high school and so he he kind of leaned on the guys who were here at that time to kind of give their opinions about that but by watching him as a receiver you could also see he's got that size you know he's a pretty sturdy guy that he's like 195 so he's not slight he can hold up you would think to you know the physical play that you need to have at corner but they also just liked um oh, what he could the way he could move out there um athletically and his football IQ and, and some of the other things that they've been able to measure on him that they think he can make this transition to cornerback. And, and they're obviously in a position too, where uh, unlike, you know, a year ago, they were they, last season, obviously desperate so many weeks to find anyone who was healthy enough to play cornerback. And some of that maybe has been repaired. If, if Burke and, and Hancock are both healthy, you also bring in Davis and Igbenosin. So that room has gotten more secure since the end of last year and now bringing Lorenzo Styles Jr. in seems, I wouldn't say like a luxury, but it it definitely, it it wasn't like a, a must-have. It was someone that they, they just believed in the talent there and that they could bring him in and turn him into um, a, a productive corner in the long run. And Stephen Hartline said, I told him he should be a corner. Is that right? He did. He did. Which, and then he went and recruited a whole bunch of other top 100 wide receivers to prove his point even further. <laughs> Which is just one of those things that for Ohio State, right? Hey, you're from Columbus. Your dad played here. Maybe you'd like to be a Buckeye. Well, let me tell you how it is. It's not going to be at receiver because let me show you who we're recruiting at receiver. Maybe you can make it at corner. So it, there's one thing. It's like, are you a better corner generally or for Ohio State, are you a better corner? It's like the told mm-hmm. Chip Trainum in recruiting. They said, You're, yep. we won't recruit you as a linebacker. We don't want you as a running back. Doesn't mean Chip Trainum couldn't go be a running back somewhere else, right? So, um, but, but I, that's what kind of thing. Heart, Heartline also likes to know, like Heartline, like he was right. So, But yeah. also, I but, mean, his dad's a linebacker. His brother's a defensive back. Like the idea of like Lorenzo Styles maybe being a pretty decent defensive player at Ohio State just based off his own pedigree here is not that crazy. But well, you, you know when you're when you're 16, 17 years old, you he really wanted to play wide receiver, so he went and tried. We, we seen you just mentioned Chip Trainum. They did the same thing with Steel Chambers. There's been players along the way who have options on what side of the ball they want to play on, and Ohio State 
it's one of the things they do. They don't lie to kids. They tell them what they think their best position is, whether it's helping them, but even in the, with Cade Stover, they went through that whole thing with him. Of He always, he still probably wants to be a linebacker to his, to this day, but the honest conversation was your highest ceiling for how you can maximize yourself as a football player. Is that tied in? But, and just to, just to clarify the, the way Hardline said it wasn't, we have too many good receivers for you to play receiver here. The way he said today, I think I told him cornerback is his best position. So again, he's trying to, I guess, maybe belatedly take credit for that and be right in the long run. But but not but not that it wasn't just that he couldn't play receiver at Ohio State or would be low on the receiver depth chart at Ohio State, that he thought maybe his best position as a college football player would be cornerback. So we'll find out if he's right. 54 catches for 644 yards in two years for Lorenzo Styles at Notre Dame. He played receiver. He he was a college receiver. It wasn't like he couldn't do it. Nathan, did you get any read from Tim Walton? Should this year for Lorenzo Styles mostly be viewed as a position change and we wouldn't expect much on the field? Or does he slot in and maybe would be in contention to be their fifth or sixth corner and maybe be in the mix? Well, so while this is the first time they have been allowed to talk about these guys that got through the portal, they actually haven't seen them that much. They've been out on the road recruiting. There hasn't been a lot of interaction, and especially because obviously they weren't; those guys weren't here in the spring. So a lot of those questions about like, well, how does he look? How is he performing? He kind of pushed those away, and we're like, hey, I haven't really had a chance to, to work with him that much. I brought up a couple times on the the, the texts though, and. It, just keep in mind, he does have a redshirt year to use if he needs it. He played as a true freshman at Notre Dame, played his first two seasons there. So if this were a thing where it took a while, or even if he's doing all right, but just the the, the opportunity to play isn't quite there yet, it could be a thing where they, they kick it down the road and he'd get still two full seasons as a cornerback next year when, starting next year, when guys like Burke and maybe Hancock have moved on and there's some more room in that room. Okay. That's one of the new guys. The other big new guy on the defense side of the ball, Taiwan Malone on the defensive line. First chance, Nathan, to speak with Larry Johnson about this. What's the read there? Yeah. So uh, a couple things, um, three tech is probably where he's going to fit here best. And he played in, I think, uh, I think Larry said he played like three schemes in two years at Ole Miss or whatever. Like, and, and if you watch film of him, they a lot of times would use a three-man front, and he was at, on, at the end there. So it's having him end up at three-tech makes sense, and I think we've all kind of assumed that uh, along the, the way. I, I did get into with Larry Johnson, though, back to when he was being recruited out of New Jersey in high school. And I wanted to – because I think there's been some misconception, at least I had a misconception at the time, that – you know, he ends up at Ole Miss because he could play both in baseball and football. He wanted to play both. Um, but Ohio State had a plan that it was presenting to him. He met with the baseball coach uh, at the time and was pursuing him as possibly playing both, too, the way Larry Johnson talked today. And I was like, are you sure? Because, like, there's been other guys who've come through here, and they you haven't been that open to that. And he's like, no, like, we were – we were willing to to do that. We knew that that was where, you know, he was serious about both, that that's where his heart was. And and in contrast to JT Tuomaloao, who his heart, I think, may have been in basketball somewhat too, but that Larry Johnson said, like, no, that's a different season. Like, there's more crossover of the seasons there, of the actual playing season. There's more wear and tear that comes 
and then now you're talking about a guy playing a fall season and you turn him over to basketball for a while and he goes right into spring football after that and it becomes like well when is he ever not you know doing his thing so uh, that i thought was a little bit enlightening to me that ohio state was ready to do that but given the choice between playing both at ohio state and playing both in the sec and Ole miss is a, a, a very good you know traditionally a pretty solid baseball program too i think they understood why he made the choice he did but that now um you know larry johnson said you know having conversations with malone's family and kind of seeing where he is now that uh, that isn't an option, that they, they're focusing on football. And it's one of the reasons why he is, I think, optimistic about where the ceiling can still go on Malone, is that he really hasn't had uh, the full development time that he should have had to this point, and they still see a productive player there. So now what happens when he is fully committed? Where And, and you might I think they think they'll see it in the rotation this fall, but I think what is probably me just thinking this like okay get you know have this fall and then what happens when he has then that full year you get a full spring that leads you into next year assuming he isn't so good this fall that he doesn't stick around um that's where you could really see a payoff is maybe in that second year so just to clarify he is not playing baseball anymore correct okay fully focused football guy Steven, you were there for Larry Johnson too, right? Like, does it sound like expectation that this guy's going to play? They were kind of looking for a fourth defensive tackle in the spring. Like, this guy could get in the rotation? Yeah, I mean, he kept talking about it as if it's depth. And he, he even mentioned Mike Hall, you know, and some of the stuff he dealt with last year. You don't want to get into a season. And then your injuries, you're an injury away from three not being enough, which is why they explored it in the first place. I, but Nathan kind of hit it right on the nail here. He's depth. But what happens if this dude is just only focused on football for really the first time in his life? Can he become more than just depth? Can they legitimately have four guys they can rely on? And whether it's Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton or Talik Williams and Ty, well, that's a lot of ties. It's a lot of T's. And then the, it's M and then three T's. That's, but if, if they legitimately have four guys that they can rely on in a, in a, at a high level way, if this guy, Ty, Ty Malone hits, that's a big deal for Ohio State to have, to have depth in there in, in a way that they really haven't had. They've had, like, we've seen the front line guys be good, but we haven't seen a, a high level of depth from the defensive line room in the interior really since 2019 either. Yeah, I was thinking 2019. That was the year that jumped out to me when yeah, you get all six. the way down to, yeah, Cornell and B.B. Landers and uh, Hamilton. And, yeah, you could get down four or five with, with pretty impressive guys there. And I think that's what they're trying to get back to with this group. If Does it sound – would you guess, just from the way it was talked about, he could be in the top four for snaps among defensive tackles with Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton, and Tyleek Williams. Yes. And the Taiwan Malone is the fourth guy there. Yeah. Okay. Nothing to change our mind again. Right. Hero Canoe, I think, had a good spring, right? He gets in that yep. mix, but he's still a young guy. Okay. That that makes sense. Okay. So Styles and Malone on the defensive side of the ball, kind of the new guys. We told you about maybe the change in philosophy. When we come back, something else, including an incredible NIL opportunity for Nathan Baird. Next on Buckeye Talk. Who has no thumbs and was a second-team All-American last year? This guy, and it's Tommy Eichenberg pointing at himself with no thumbs. Jim Knowles referred to Tommy Eichenberg as Tommy No Thumbs during the interview process, Nathan. We don't know exactly how Tommy No Thumbs entered his consciousness, but do we believe that the moniker Tommy No Thumbs did spring to life 
from the lips of Nathan Baird on this podcast? Is that what we believe? I, I'm going to believe it. I don't know if it's, you know, we have no way of proving it's wrong. So we should just believe that it's true. So congratulations. Thank so you. I don't know if there are is there a thumb surgeon out there who would want to do a thing there. And Nathan's getting 10% of the NIL cut on anything off of Tommy No Thumbs Eichenberg. Here's the big thing, though, about that. So this was clarifying for me. I got excited when I get clarified. Buckeye talk. Jim Knowles was saying that last year, Tommy Eichenberg was just a little bit ahead of other guys in understanding the defense. And I think it's like, well, what does that look like? I don't know. Did you watch Tommy Eichenberg play last year? It looked like that. And the whole thing, and again, this is just was always there. He just said it a certain way on Tuesday that helped me. Jim Knowles is saying, when the offense makes a call and then I make a defensive call, the result of that should be that the Ohio State defensive players know where the ball is going. Their call, my call, know what's going to happen. Because again, and Jim Knowles was looking for this word. He found it. He said it again. It's a word he's said before. We've repeated before. Escape hatch, right? No defense is perfect, but we're going to funnel stuff. There's going to be a place. Okay, we know there's some vulnerabilities. That's probably where the offense is going to attack us. So be ready for the ball to go there. That's how Jim Knowles works. Tommy Eichenberg was ahead of the game last year in doing that. We said, we've said many times, man, it sure felt like Jim Knowles was using Tommy Eichenberg. But partly is Tommy Eichenberg getting that. So to me, this then reads as Tommy Eichenberg is just like a cycle ahead. So if that's what it looked like when a guy understands the Jim Knowles defense, and as a result, can get to where the ball is going to be before it gets there. If Tommy Eichenberg did it in year one, and this is how I asked Jim Knowles this question, I said, could the defense this year look like 11 Tommy Eichenbergs? He said, yes. That's like, what does this look like, Stephen? At its best, the Jim Knowles defense looks like something where he is so confident in his call and the defenders have such an understanding of the defense that they know what's going to happen. And the result is they get there faster. And I said, okay, if that's what it could be this year, Tommy Eichenberg's, he's ahead of the pack. I said, how far were you into that last year? How close were you? Okay, well, we want it to be that everybody gets it. What percent last year were you getting it? And I love Jim Knowles. Again, appreciative of guys who answer questions. He didn't really, he's like, well, I don't know. He paused for a long time, but he said, the number that's jumping into my head is 70 or 75%. So, okay, that's like Tommy doing his thing. But then there are other times, like, you know, the rest of the defense is only like three quarters of the way there of knowing where it's going to, where the the action's going to be. That clarified it for me, Stephen. Because what's it at its best? Everybody reacting to the play, reacting to the ball in the manner that Tommy Eichenberg reacted last year. You want Lathan Ransom to be a weapon? If he knows what's up and he's reacting and he's absorbed the whole defense, he's going to be there. You want Steel Chambers and CJ Hicks to do that? You want Jihad Carter to do that? You want JT Tumolawile and Jack Sawyer? It helped me, Stephen. And the idea of a defense of 11 Tommy Eichenbergs. Tommy Eichenberg wasn't great last year because he suddenly became a 10 times better athlete. He looked like a better football player, Steven, because he looked like he knew what he was doing and he fit the defense. 
So do that times 11, and that's your 2023 Ohio State defense. Okay, that sounds good to me. I like that we can use CJ Hicks as like the metaphor for this entire thing because it's like, it's one thing to be, to be awesome at something, but if you don't know what you're doing, you have no help to anybody. And it felt like that's what CJ Hicks was as a true freshman. And he used 70 to 75%. That's not bad. It's also very scary depending on who is in that other 25%. Because if your cornerbacks are all in that other 25% because they've been in and out the lineup all year, well, that's how you get bone plays against Michigan. If Lathan Ransom, just because he's still coming off of an injury last year and didn't have a spring, so he really didn't get thrown into this until the first day of fall camp, well, that's how you fall down against Georgia. That's how you're out of place here or you're out of place there. So if, like, everybody knows what they're doing, which is, like, I mean, logically, yeah, you do things faster when you know what you're doing. If everybody knows what they're doing so they can play a little bit faster, what does that mean to get to Michigan? Because that's what all matters because it didn't matter the first 11 weeks because they still won those games. But this time when you get against Michigan, is Cameron Martinez in a better position to not get beat like he does? Or the cornerbacks not getting beat deep as often because they know what they're doing, but they're also healthy and they have the capability to do it. So I think about it more from that standpoint of if you know what you're doing, plus you have the capability, plus you're healthy, that should mean a better defense in year two. Yeah, actually, when I heard 70, 75%, I didn't think that's not that bad. I thought, oh, there could have been four guys on the field on any given play that didn't know what was up. And like, that's that's a vulnerability. It made me actually think that maybe um, – Guys like Tommy Eichenberg were even more valuable because of, of they probably covered up some of that. And I'm sure there were times. But as we think about it, I don't know that anybody can conjure a play where you saw Tommy Eichenberg look confused. Yes. Where you saw Tommy Eichenberg hesitate. Where you saw Tommy Eichenberg clearly be in the wrong spot. And we can conjure up those moments with some other players on the team. So it's like, what does it look like? Well, you, you take those away. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're got, not going to make any mistakes. But there's a double part of it, Nathan. There's the decreasing the mistakes, but there's adding to the ceiling, adding to the upside, because you play with more confidence, you play with more speed, because you have a better handle on the defense. And that's where I think you really saw. The thing about Tommy Eichenberg last year wasn't, Man, that guy didn't make any mistakes. That's not why everyone thought he was great. It's because he attacked. He got after it with confidence. And and that, again, there's one thing like it's like, give me an example. It's like, oh, if everybody plays like Tommy Eichenberg. Oh. Oh. No, 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 no. But it's, it's, not, it's, it's not so much just like play with, like it's if, if thumbs, everybody. thumb. But, but with thumbs, but also it's not even like a Tommy. It's if everybody comes into it with the same mindset, it, it has the same knowledge as Tommy Eichenberg. Because I don't know if you want 11 Tommy Eichenberg talent wise, because I think I'd take 11 JT Tumalo out talent. So it's like if everybody has it, it gets it the way Tommy Eichenberg gets it. What does that mean for Ohio well, State's 2023 defense? This is no slight of Tommy Eichenberg. Who's more no. naturally talented, Sonny yes. Styles or Tommy Eichenberg? Who's more naturally talented, Jack Sawyer or Tommy Eichenberg? It's not a slight, but yeah, it's like take all that. Guys who even have a little bit more gifts, and listen, Tommy Eichenberg has plenty, and give them the kind of, let them play with the knowledge and confidence of Tommy Eichenberg, and what would that look like? And again, Jim Knoll said it, and I agree. Nathan, this was a pretty good defense last year. It was better than the year before, and for the first 11 games, it held up pretty darn well more often than not. Yeah, so, so just, like, it's, yeah. it's yeah. 
statistically, those first 11 games, it was way ahead of last year's defense. After Michigan and Georgia got done with them, it was slightly ahead of, of, of the 2021 defense. But it, this all makes me, to bring this full circle back to the one of the first things we talked about the, the, with Cody Simon stuff, Like it makes me wonder um, where this thing would have been if Cody Simon had been healthy last spring. Because that obviously gave Tommy Eichenberg a jump on things. Cody Simon was standing on the sidelines and had the shoulder surgery, wasn't available uh, last spring, 2022 spring I'm talking about. And Tommy Eichenberg got to thrive under this new, like he he was able to impress Jim Knowles uh, unencumbered in a way that some other guys couldn't, the way Josh Proctor couldn't, the way uh, Cody Simon couldn't. And I, that did, I think, end up ultimately like setting the stage for a lot of things for that defense all year. I don't know that Cody Simon would have beat him out, although he did the year before when they were sort of sharing a position and, and Cody Simon took over as a starter. But you you see in retrospect how how little things like kind of fell together to to make this defense what it was. But I think you bring up a good point that the the way that that Tommy Eichenberg played, you don't you don't talk about guys who aren't playing with confidence and a sort of um, sixth sense about defense as playing downhill. Like you have to have those qualities in order to play downhill. And that was like a term that got brought up about Tommy Eichenberg all the time. If you don't have those things, then you're getting what we saw in the 2021 defense, which was a lot of guys flat footed, a lot of guys um, out of position or, too slow to react to get over to where they're supposed to be. I, I take you back to the Oregon game. I take you back to any number of other instances from the 2021 season. So that was, I thought, a, a the biggest fix. And I think it's it's partially maybe Tommy Eichenberg being right place at the right time. I think it's also give Jim Knowles credit, though, for recognizing what what Tommy Eichenberg's football talents are and getting the most out of them. I think we thought... Tommy Eichenberg looked last season like he was in the perfect defense for him. Didn't mm-hmm. we think that? What if yes, we think but, that uh, about Lathan Ransom this year? What if we think that right. about Lathan Ransom? What if we think that about JT2 Marlowow and Jack Sawyer? What if we think, oh my gosh, how could anyone get more out of Mike Hall than this defense is getting out of him? I, Not just that they're skilled, but that they're being maximized within the structure of the defense. Steven, that's, that's a, whatever your maximum is, is the defense maximizing you? And are you maximizing yourself Mm -hmm. with your knowledge and within the structure? And so if we said who maximized himself most in the defense last year, I think it's unanimous, Tommy Eichenberg, number one. What if this year it's like, I don't know, felt like seven guys maximized themselves. That's where this defense gets better. And I think that maximize is different depending on who you're talking about. You probably have to turn – you have to like purposely – Make Tommy Eichenberg a, le- a weapon because of what his talent, not so just raw talent level is. It's, once again, we're not, you know, he's a starting linebacker at Ohio State. He's pretty good. Lathan Ramson's probably in the same boat. You go back to 2019, what was maximizing that defense? Stop making Chase Young think and just let him go get the quarterback because he's Chase Young. Stop making Jeff Okoda think and just let him cover a side of the field because no one's going to throw to him after six weeks of seeing it not, not work. I think you can get a combination of that in this world. I don't think any. Well, maybe JT's, I don't know. But if you have guys like JT and Jack living up to what they are as five-star recruits, and you're pairing that with Tommy Eichenberg, Lathan Ransom being weapons, the same way that, like, come to find out Jordan Fuller was a weapon, he just his weapon was nothing gets past me, 
that's when you get an elite defense. When you have when you have guys who are superior first round talent, base talent level living up to that, mixed with guys who are maybe second, third, fourth round talents, but because of how you use them, you almost make make them look better than maybe they actually are. That's when you get elite defenses. That's what Clemson has done in the past with guys. That's what Georgia keeps doing these last couple of years, and we've seen Bama do it in the past. We just that's what we saw Ohio State do for most of the 2010s. I forgot there was one more clarifying thing he said. So everyone says iron sharpens iron, right? That's everybody's favorite thing. I don't even know if it's true. I guess it is. That's <laughs> how you sharpen a knife, right? You don't bang a knife against a tree to sharpen it. Right. But I thought you had a knife sharpening story holstered there, Nathan. You, you know, you were like, let me tell you about how I sharpen my knives before I go out and make brisket. But then it, you didn't deliver. No, it's probably. Do you sharpen knives? Do you have a knife sharpening thing? Well, in, in our uh, our block of knives, our block of kitchen knives, I think it's supposedly like sort of a self-sharpening thing. If you When you put it in and draw it out, it kind of sharpens it a little bit. I have not, I'm not one of these guys. I had a roommate, my buddy Greg who was a, a big foodie and he would, you would occasionally come home and see him just like doing his knives and I'd be like, all right, man, just like <laughs> that. You're, that wasn't when he was mad at his roommate, Nathan, he didn't pull the no. knives out and start sharpening them just to send the no, message. No. So, so that, so the thing that Jim Knowles said, and again, this follows the thing, right? Last year they were learning too much this year. They wanted to be more competitive in practice. The thing he said on Tuesday about that was, if the offense is kicking your butt in practice, it's not okay. And at times yeah. last year, it might have felt like the defense said, and even Jim Newell said, it's like, well, you know, it's Marv. Like what? And I was like, yeah. And it's CJ mm-hmm. Stroud and it's Paris Johnson and it's Luke Whipler and it's Dewan Jones. And it's like, I'm Buka. They kick a lot of people's butts. And that the offensive iron was so sharp. Maybe it didn't sharpen the defense's iron. It just sliced the defense's iron in half. And then the defense thought, well, okay, well, I don't know. The next iron is not going to be that sharp, Stephen. We'll be fine. Yeah, I have the full quote. Because I, I, when I'm listening back, I'm like, man, this is like a gym. It's such a gym. And it's not just gym like Jim knows. It's gym, gym like shiny thing, too. Yeah, it's a gym, gym. He should, Jim, if you're listening. Well, whoever is telling Jim about what we're talking about on the spot. If you're listening, mm. tell him about Jim Jim. When you're playing, like when you're playing against in practice, a high powered offense with great receivers, a great quarterback and first round picks, you get beaten practice, but that can't be okay. It doesn't matter who you're going against. It can't be okay. Our offensive iron needs to sharpen our defensive iron. We needed to make that transition too. This is how we're going to be, be the best. We have to, be the best against our offense every day. I think last year the offense was an excuse for when the defense didn't play well in practice. And it's a pretty darn good excuse. Why didn't you play good today? Because the number two pick in the NFL draft picked us apart like he picks apart everybody. Hey, why can't you cover number 11? Because he was the first wide receiver taking off the board. Hey, why is 18? Because his name is Marvin Harrison Jr. And he's the best wide receiver prospect in maybe a decade. That's why. Why can't anybody get past 77? Because he's the number six pick and on down the list. And they're reasonable excuses, but they're still excuses. 
and you maybe didn't correct those issues because you thought you see you, you hear the players say that all the time about how they're going up against the best in the country and it's going to make them better or you don't go do well and you go and you chalk it up to oh that's the best guy we're going to see so like that's just him doing it we can do it against everybody else but then you get into the Michigan game and those same mistakes keep popping up and you don't have that excuse of that's Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming and Emeka Buka. But because you didn't correct them and you made it okay in fall camp, it still was okay 11 weeks later. But to me, it's not even necessarily mistakes that you didn't correct. It's just the attitude. Like you're like, stay mad. Yes. Marv beat you. Be mad. Yes. Emeka beat you. They're awesome. Be mad. And that idea, I think what you said, Stephen, of it was an excuse and a very reasonable one. Mm-hmm. But even Nathan, that was like another step beyond what they said all spring, which was we were teaching so much. Now we wanted to be competitive. This is explaining even when we tried to be competitive last year, we usually lost and we chalked it up to CJ Marv Paris. What are you going to do? And we're not going to do that anymore. If we lose in practice, we're going to absorb that. We're going to be mad. We're going to know we have to get better, even if we're going against the best. And there's not a way to ask this, Nathan. There's nothing more I like than conjuring up ways to ask a question. But the idea of, is it possible that one side of the ball can be so good in practice, it's actually detrimental to the other side of the ball? I would like to have a conversation about that. And it feels like what Jim Knowles is saying is, yes, it was. And this is an example of it. And we can't let it be that way. Yeah, but I think that should still be a pretty easy sell as a coach, too, though. Like the pride's got to kick in at some point because there isn't anybody. There's no player who starts any position at Ohio State who doesn't expect to be in the NFL or take his shot at the NFL eventually. So, okay, Marvin Harrison Jr. is great, and Emeka Buka is great, and Julian Fleming is actually pretty great too. But you want to go play in the NFL, that's who you want to defend. You've got to go figure it out. And I think if there's ever a time at Ohio State where there's a side of the ball that literally just can't hold its own against the other side of the ball, I don't actually know that that's a winning combination for this program because I think it means the second side is so far down. And – I. So I don't know that that was completely what was happening last year, too. But as we were having this conversation, though, it makes me think of a very similar conversation that was happening this spring, probably, as it related to the offensive line and the defensive line, where like, hey, listen, I know that you weren't the the uh, a top five prospect like Jack Sawyer and JT Tuamaloa were. I know that people aren't calling you the offensive line equivalent of baby Aaron Donald completely unprovoked because you're just throttling people in practice and I know et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but you're still the offensive lineman here, you know, uh, not to jump ahead, but like Justin Fry said something like that. We were talking about the offensive line today. It was uh, okay. Yeah. I know we lost three starters and we lost three draft picks and you know, on paper that's tough, but like we're not on paper. We're at Ohio state and the next guy is supposed to be really good too. And I, so I, I hear what Jim Knowles is saying, but I also think that that is as much on the coaches as anybody else. Like that's that's got to be part of uh, how you're bringing these guys around is to say uh, the standard isn't to beat the number two guy. The standard is you've got to go beat the best player in the country because that's who we bring here. That's what you're supposed to be too. That's the standard everybody is shooting for at this program. But when Jim Knowles is talking about this, he says 
even though our offense is great, it can never be okay for us to get beat by them. Right. And I said, you say that because at times last year, you felt it may be seeping in, like that attitude was present, that it was okay. And he said, anything you do repeatedly becomes a habit, which to me is a yes. It happened enough times that it felt like we let it be okay, and then it was okay. So they felt it. Yeah, They felt it last year, mm-hmm. and they are determined to not let that happen. So that feels real to me. And then you carry that because I do think it's the perfect encapsulation. Ah, oh, man, CJ and Emeka and, and Marv shredded us, but, I mean, J.J. McCarthy and Cornelius Johnson aren't going to do that. It's like, nope, mm-hmm. they are. But if you're mad, if you're so mad at C.J. Stroud, you're so mad. God, he's so good. But I am, I am going to be up at night trying to figure out how I can get C.J. Stroud in practice tomorrow. I'm so mad at C.J. Stroud. I'm going to take it out on J.J. McCarthy as opposed to, yeah. hey, man, C.J. Stroud, Stroud does that to everybody. The other guys won't do that to us. Steven, I, I know what Jim Knowles is saying there, and I know – it's it's I don't think that's a shot at any and Nathan, you made the right point. Well the coaches are very involved in that. You can't let it happen. Yeah. I don't think that's being soft. I don't think that's call I don't think that's how could the defense it's natural, it's human nature. Because you know what it's not fun to do? Have Marvin Harrison Jr. beat your butt every day. So you mm-hmm. start to rationalize it. And before you know it, Cornelius Johnson's doing it. So you can't allow yourself to rationalize it. And they're facing it, and they're confronting it, Stephen. And how do you prevent it from happening? You prioritize not letting it happen. And it feels like that's where they are. Building habits, man. Your cornerbacks shouldn't be watching Michigan State and be able to empathize with their corners because it's like, yeah, Marv does that to me in practice too. It should be, no, I locked up Marvin Harrison a couple. He got me a couple times because this is how it goes. But as much as he gets me, I get them because then that makes you better on game day. And I think I'm zeroing but listen, in. On I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you because I don't know that they're going to lock up Marvin Harrison Jr. this year. To me, it's not beating him in practice. It's not being okay with losing. That's the difference. I don't think they're yeah. saying we have to beat Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. in practice. They're saying when we get beat by Marvin Harrison Jr. in practice, we've got to stay mad. Because then it's that, like he's the you can't then it's, you can't make it happen. That's fair. Because then it's if Marvin Harrison is doing that to us. He better be the only wide receiver. And the only wide receivers who should be kicking our butts need to be on our same team. No, no, it's not that because that's what they said last year. No, 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 no. It because says, so, no, no, I refuse. So, no, no, no. Listen, here's why. Here's why. Because you're so mad. Because on Tuesday and Wednesday you got your butt kicked all week, and now you take all that energy out on Saturday because you're so ticked off about it. But you can't say you just said you're say, the only wide receivers who kick our butt should be on our own team. That's making it okay. Mm. Stay mad, bro. Marvin Harrison Jr. kicked your butt, and mm. I'm furious about it. It eats at my soul yeah. that Emeka Buka caught a 38-yard pass on me in practice yesterday. I don't care if he's going to be the 12th pick in the draft. It's killing me. It motivates me. And when I see Emeka in, in the training room, I won't even look at him because I'm so mad and I can't wait to cover him in practice tomorrow. Nothing about it's okay. And then, by the way, we play somebody on Saturday. But for now, I'm so mad. 
Right, Nathan? Be mad. Just stay mad. Be mad at your teammates. Being mad at your teammates is the key to success. Is that right? The Doug Lamoury's autobiography. Is that is that how that works? I know on the high school golf team, there was a guy that we said looked like Rick Astley. So how about that? He was mad at us. He's like, my teammates say that I look like Rick Astley. When he'd get in the van and we'd drive to a match, we'd start singing, uh, never going to give you up. And he'd get mad oh, about it, Nathan. That's what that is? Never going to let you down. And he's like, I'm just here to golf. And my teammates are bullying me with Rick Astley songs. And it motivated him. And then he would go out and shoot, I don't know, 84. I uh, I, I played uh, high school baseball with a guy that they thought looked like Sloth from the Goonies. So I think he had it worse off than <laughs> the young Rick Astley. Um, uh, but it's interesting to hear this perspective from Knowles and then – put it onto some Ugh. things that we saw, especially from that secondary last year. Did and you just look up what Rick Astley looks like, Steven? <laughs> no, I think you looked up what, that what that was? the Goonies look like. Oh, I looked, up, I, looked up, I looked up both of them. And that's the first time I was like, oh, that's who that is? The guy who used to troll me on YouTube? And then I looked up the other guy. I'm like, oh, I've seen that picture. I didn't yeah. know that's what his name was on the Goonies. I just knew he was an ugly looking person. <laughs> I thought Steven was like, oh, that guy has a weird haircut, that Rick Astley guy. Ugh. Okay, sorry. But if you apply it to things that we saw last year from the secondary, um, it it makes some sense. I think especially for the guys who were banged up and were having trouble getting into practice, you would it would make sense that that made it even harder to cover those guys. Where I think that I still have some breakdown, though, is like why did that – how did that contribute to some of the just fundamental lapses that we saw? And maybe especially in those last couple of games where guys um, – from the beginning of the play. It wasn't like they were getting beat with the ball in the air. It was like from the beginning of the play, they're out of position, something went wrong, and now an explosive is is off to the races. So is that did that sort of seep into the mentality that 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 their their head just wasn't in the right place? I, I don't know. But I, I do agree, though, that I think this comes down to, you know, in a number of things where Jim Knowles now has a, a perspective on this roster he has a perspective on this still largely for the most part intact batch of talent. And how is that going to help him and help these other assistant coaches better develop and motivate these guys the second time around? Cause you're right, Doug, like there, there were strides last year, but there weren't enough and they've got to find a way to unlock this, like a next level for, for some of these guys, because by all indications, there is special talent sprinkled around this defense um, that when, at this level, at the stakes that Ohio State's playing at, you can't be talking about those guys being special and then again be talking about a team that just makes like a very like glacial amount of progress defensively. I didn't ask Jim Knowles this specifically, but even for him, he's a great defensive coordinator. He's never gone against C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigba, Cade Stover, Emeka Buka, Paris Johnson, Luke Whippler, and Dewan Jones in practice. So I don't even know if it might have seeped into Jim Knowles. Jim Knowles is like, I'm pretty good at this. I am pretty – oh, that's Marv. I am pretty good at this. Wow, that was a great throw by C.J., right? Even the idea of maybe Jim Knowles' defense was getting beat in practice a little more often than he was used to. Because what were the stories they were telling us last year? Man, they're getting after it, right? But I think in the end, when they got after it, it sounded like the offense won more often than not. And maybe even Jim Knowles within himself 
let it be, quote, okay. What are you going to do? We'll get better on Saturday. They do that to everybody. And I don't know, Stephen. Like, I get, I, I don't know that he was talking about himself, but I don't know that he wasn't talking about himself. He went up against Chuba Hubbard, but then, like, Chuba would take some plays off. It's like, okay, Stop. we can get after him now. <laughs> it, 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 it's the CJ Stroud. Yeah, it's he's the, the Chuba Hubbard of the Big Ten. They said about CJ. <laughs> it's it's the abundance of it. It's the fact that like I'm I'm joking with Chuba, but it's like you got Chuba, and then like what else? You know, while at Ohio State, you've got Chuba one, you've got Chuba two, you've got Chuba three, you got Chuba times one thousand over here on the outside playing X receiver. So it, it, it it's yeah, this is all an adjustment. Whether which gets back to the original point we we're talking about, whether it's the should I rotate or should I just stick with the guys I know and really only play those guys in the back seven? It's the understanding the level of talent that you have and the depth of it you have. It's the, you know, not being okay just because CJ Stroud, CJ Strouded you one day in practice or Marvin Harrison caught a touchdown where he only got his pinky toe in, but that's all you need in college football. This is as much as this is a learning process in this in the in these players getting to know the system, it's also a learning process for Jim Knowles because he did make a giant step up in, in just like quality of program. This isn't a guy Ryan Day didn't hire him away from Florida from a healthy pro, Florida program or a Georgia program. He took him from Oklahoma State, which is already well, a t- Oklahoma uh, State was like an inch of making the playoff. But yeah, I, I know. But you, you know what I mean? Like uh, just like historically, talent that's not wise. like a, that's just not a place where like there's a deep level of talent. Well, also it plays in a conference that's just not known for its defense. Just very quickly, I got my Chubbas and my Chubas mi- mistaken there for a moment. You were referencing Chuba Hubbard, who was the really good Oklahoma State running back. In my head, I had Chuba Purdy, who's the quarterback who transferred to Nebraska. And I was like, what? Chuba? (laughs) Well, no, Chuba Hubbard's good. I apologize to Chuba Hubbard and his family. Sometimes you get your Chubas and your Chubas mixed up. All right. That's a long discussion about the Ohio State defense. We have a podcast coming about what we learned from the Ohio State offensive coaches. We'll be writing stories this week, next week, into the summer based off the conversations that we had with all these guys. So look for our coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU. We texted on a bunch of stuff on Tuesday. It was a good day to be a tech subscriber. I think we, we brought you guys some quick, timely, interesting info. And you didn't have to go look for it. 614-350-3315. Get in now so like the next time this happens, you won't miss it. Two-week free trial. And make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. For now. For Nathan Baird and for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>